I'd like to take a moment to let you all know about a new nonprofit organization started by my brother Craig. It's called Treats and Truth. They fill oversized brown lunch bags with snack items, chips, crackers, popcorn, cookies, etc. Also, a bottle of water, toothbrush, toothpaste, sanitary wipes, and most importantly, a small gospel tract book of John. No cigar? I'll have to talk to him about that. The bags are then hand-delivered to the homeless and people in need in and around the Los Angeles area. Let's help get this ministry off the ground. They're a 501c3 tax-exempt organization, so any and all donations are tax-deductible and greatly appreciated. Visit their website at treatsandtruth.org. Check out the show notes for the link. Also, please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you. Welcome to episode 136 of the Burning Bush Podcast, where we share the message of the Bible while enjoying a good cigar. Hope you're doing well, and I'm glad you've joined me. Today, we're reading the New Testament book of Mark, chapter 9, with commentary from the notes in the Charles Spurgeon Study Bible, and I'm smoking the 300 Hands by Southern Draw, Habano in the Pyramides, 6 and an eighth by 52. So let's go ahead on over to the Southern Draw website and get the story behind these cigars. 300 Hands is an all-too-real story of collaboration told through a value line of premium cigars from Southern Draw Cigars. The result of approximately 300 small steps and those hands producing nearly identical handmade rolled bundles of our patiently aged and naturally fermented tobaccos that we know as premium cigars. The process of handmaking a premium cigar is a deliberate marriage of art and skill that has been passed down from generation to generation in our beloved Nicaragua with its complex tobacs, tobaccos and dedicated people is now the most prominent supplier of this unique art form to the United States. 300 Hands is a celebration of the most distinctive tobaccos born of Nicaragua's special combination of soil, temperature, and sunlight, each blended with complementary tobaccos from other growing regions, offering a diff differing yet refined process and most notably, the tobacco-stained hands that meticulously perform every step required to produce a Southern Draw cigar. It is the people of Nicaragua that we believe are now the backbone of this great industry. The Mission 300 Hands will share premium cigars and honest stories of Nicaraguan people in a concerted effort to provide a hopeful future for at least some of these families by offering financial assistance in and around Esteli, Nicaragua. We want to share this story with the masses and have initially priced this cigar line in a range of $5.99 to $6.49 while expanding our charitable giving strategy to Nicaragua. 
We hope to continue to distribute 25% of our profits to those Nicaraguans that offered us their honest stories and identified specific needs in and around their own communities, per Sharon Holt of Southern Draw. 300 Hands was unveiled at IPCPR 2018. We hereby ask our valued retail and media partners to join us as we endeavor to share the stories of 300 Nicaraguan brothers and sisters using their words, their emotions, and their heartfelt pleas to help their neighbors. We have high hopes for a better Nicaragua as they fight to overcome decades-old struggles that have just recently escalated into what has been deemed a newsworthy crisis, stated Robert Holt of Southern Draw. They are 300 hands, and this is their story. The People The Nicaraguan people remain committed to this celebrated art form, but they do dream of something better. With a population of approximately 6 million people and a median age of about 25 years old, the future is now for a great country that remains one of the least developed in Latin America, where poverty is high. 30 to 40 percent based on recent reports, and access to basic services are a daily struggle. Over the last five years, the Southern Draw Cigars family has experienced the wonder of this country, and the people have touched our hearts. Prior to recent escalation, we have observed struggles which are fraught with personal tragedy, misfortune, and misery. The shanties of concrete, walls of plastic sheets, Roofs of corrugated metal and even cardboard, some filled beyond comfort. Many remain homeless. Unpaved or roughed roads are too numerous to count. Many have limited access to clean water and electricity. And these are just a few of the essential needs of the people. And yet, here in the United States, the largest export partner of Nicaragua, representing over 50% of their annual exports, we enjoy their premium cigars aged rum, and coffee, while many still do not have a good understanding or, even worse, a true appreciation of the backbreaking work and the daily struggles of the people that extend beyond the busy factories and sprawling tobacco fields. These humble, hard-working, and relatively happy people dream of something better, something that will offer them improved quality of life, steady income, good health, confidence in their freedoms, trust in their country, and provisions for their essential needs. Through tearful discussions and heartbreaking letters, Southern Draw has heard their stories and offers 300 hands as the voice of those who have asked us to deliver their message. It is our obligation to help our neighbors, and we hope to allow the beauty and the endless possibilities of Nicaragua to flourish. Together, we can secure a sense of contribution, even if only in a small way, to a great people as they attempt to unify and uplift their fellow countrymen. Please allow us to introduce 300 Hands. And as stated already, these are Nicaraguan cigars rolled at the A.J. Fernandez Cigar Company. The wrapper is from Esteli. The binder is Indonesian. And the fillers are Nicaraguan and Dominican. And the Vitolas are Churchill, 7x48, Pyramides, 
six and an eighth by 52. Corona Gorda, five and five eighths by 46. Coloniales, five and a quarter by 44. And the Petit Edmundo, four and three quarters by 52. That is the 300 Hands by Southern Draw Cigars. Let's get into this week's reading of the book of Mark, chapter 9. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV, and verse 1. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Spurgeon comments on verse 5, It's good for us to be here. Peter had enough wit left to wish to stay where he was, and sometimes, when we are with our Lord in the mount, we can only say the same. And back to Mark verse 6. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, They no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And Spurgeon says about verse 8, They no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Moses is gone and Elijah is gone, but Jesus remains. And it's much the same with us now, and we are content that all others should go, that we may have only Jesus. Back to Mark verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And Spurgeon says about verse 9, He ordered them to tell no one what they had seen. All this glory and only three men to see it, and these three must be silent about it until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Back to Mark verse 10. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that at first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? And Spurgeon comments on verse 12, Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things? Notice that even when our Savior was answering his disciples' question about Elijah and John the Baptist, he introduced into that answer something about his own death. 
That subject was always before his eyes. He never forgot it. And back to Mark verse 13. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And Spurgeon comments on verse 15. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. I think there must be some truth in the common tradition that the face of our Lord Jesus still shone with the light of the transfiguration. Surely it was not an amazement at the mere fact of seeing him whom they had so often seen, but his face, I don't doubt, glowed as the face of Moses did when he came down from the mount. There is an attractive glory about Christ. And back to Mark verse 16. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And Spurgeon says about verse 17, I brought my son to you. There is no case so bad that if we bring it to Jesus, he cannot meet it. And back to Mark verse 18. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And Spurgeon comments on verse 19, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? I suppose our Lord's rebuke was meant especially for his disciples. Christ doesn't speak as if he were tired of his life and wished to get away from his disciples, but this is his way of saying how disappointed he is that these learners have learned so little. Unbelief is a great trouble to Christ. I never read that he said to the poor or to the sick, How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? I never read that he expressed any weariness of human ignorance or scarcely even of human sin. But when it is a matter of unbelief, then it stings him, and he cries, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? Often he must derive more pain than pleasure from communion with many of his people. How grieved he must often be to see their slowness to learn, their readiness to forget, and the difficulty with which they can be brought to live the lessons he so carefully imparts to them. And back to Mark verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Spurgeon says about verse 22, Have compassion on us and help us. The father identified himself with this child. When fathers and mothers pray, 
They should use the plural, as this man did. That is, the way to pray for every sinner we bring before Christ. We must join ourselves to the poor soul for whom we are pleading. Back to Mark verse 23. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And Spurgeon comments on verse 23, Everything is possible for the one who believes. In verse 22, the man said, If you can do anything. Even though it was almost covered up, the Savior still fastened on that one utterance of unbelief. Jesus replies in verse 23, If you can. Jesus said to him, Everything is possible for the one who believes. It is not, If I can, but if you can. And back to Mark verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Spurgeon says about verse 24, The father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Here was faith. Even though it was mixed with unbelief, it was a faith that made him pray, and the Lord Jesus Christ found that faith. And back to Mark verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. And Spurgeon comments on verse 26, Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The devil knew he had to go out, so like a bad tenant, he did all the mischief he could before he left. Satan often acts in this fashion. Just when Christ has come to cast him out, he drives the poor soul into deeper despair and perhaps into greater sin than he ever fell into in all his life. And back to Mark verse 27. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And Spurgeon says on about verse 28, Why couldn't we drive it out? Faith alone will not, not accomplish everything. Faith must be accompanied by prayer, and prayer must be, at least sometimes in special cases, attended with fasting. And back to Mark verse 29. And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And Spurgeon comments on verse 34, They had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. It was a dreadful descent from communing with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration to meeting the furious demon at the foot of the hill. 
but this looks like a far greater descent from the self-sacrifice of the the divine master to the petty jealousies and self-seeking of his chosen servants. Oh, sometimes it makes our hearts sick when we have been almost lost in rapturous meditation, when we have been taken up near to heaven in communion with the Lord, and then we have had to attend to some paltry squabble between two brothers or two sisters. It does seem such a terrible come down. And back to Mark verse 35. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. And Spurgeon says about verse 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. John did it, I dare say, in love to his master, but not in the love of his master. He did it, no doubt, with the desire to honor his master, but he did not honor his master by what he did. Back to Mark, verse 39. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. And Spurgeon comments on verse 39. Don't stop him, said Jesus. Thus, after having conversed with Moses and Elijah, The master had to talk with these childish men who had fallen out among themselves and fallen out with other people. And back to Mark verse 40. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves, and be at peace with one another. And that's the end of today's reading in the book of Mark. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the Charles Spurgeon Study Bible, as well as today's cigar. Also, Groundworks Ministries for daily Bible studies and devotionals. Treats and Truth Ministry, where you can get involved in helping to spread the gospel to and be a blessing to the homeless 
and the Burning Bush Merchandise Store, where you can pick up some items to help spread the word about the show. If you know anyone who needs to hear this, please let them know about the podcast and help share the message of the Bible, the hope we have in Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to contact me, you can email me at steve at theburningbushpodcast.com, which is linked in the show notes as well. So until next time, have a great day, have a great cigar, and God bless. God bless.